0: Welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. I'm Mike Chenitz and we have Justin Barksdale here. We are your hosts and today we have Brian Singer from Noble Nine. Hi Brian, how you doing? Hey Michael, hey Justin. Thanks for having me on. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be a really great conversation. So, just let's let's talk a little bit about a little bit about your your history here. So, We, you know, you you have this company, Noble Nine. Well, how did you get here? How did we, how did we get to, to where you are now?
1: Sure. So um, the backstory behind
0: Noble Nine is that uh, we,
1: I had another company prior to that, which uh, was acquired by Google and in the process of getting integrated into Google, um, I uh, I had, had the good fortune to learn a lot about Google's production practices, um, got a, Crash course in site reliability engineering. Um, some of the processes by which uh, Google keeps its its systems on, um, and and that really led to a, um, a belief that these were pretty powerful concepts that the rest of the industry uh, was going to adopt, uh, and they already were on well on their way to. Um, I think you know around the time we started Noble Nine in twenty nineteen, you saw site reliability engineering, um, getting pretty strong adoption in uh, maybe some more like uh, B2C type companies or you know large scale companies that were trying to build infrastructure similar to Google. And since then, um, you've seen kind of this uh, adoption wave throughout pretty much anyone that's trying to run digital services, which given COVID and, and everything that's gone on with the pandemic, is, is pretty much every company out there now. Um, and so we started Noble 9 sort of behind the concept that um, SRE, uh, the practices behind SRE would would get a lot of interest in adoption. And, you know, there would be an opportunity to build a platform to, to help uh, with the adoption of some specific areas that we thought were, were really impactful. Um, and that, you know, that was kind of the, the starting point for Noble 9.
0: So before we get into it, let's, let's define what is an SRE or Site Reliability Engineer? And, w- and what does it mean to you? Because a lot of people, sure. you know, you think they understand the concepts or maybe they do, or maybe they have some element of it, but what is an SRE and, you know, and, and why is it important?
1: Sure, I mean, uh, Site Reliability Engineering as a practice is really just taking, um, you know, an engineering mindset to to the problem of operating software and services. Um, and, you know, it's, it's as simple as, you know, whereas in, you know in the old days, if we needed more server capacity, we'd go rack it up. The SRE would say, "Well, you know, we should just be able to to tell if we need more capacity and have it be added automatically." Um, and and historically, you know, the SRE teams at Google gave rise to a lot of the really cool DevOpsy stuff that we use today, from Kubernetes to you know the way that we do—we do monitoring things like Prometheus. Like those all came out of SRE teams that were applying software engineering to, to the practice of operations, um, and and SRE as as a practice is really concerned with um, finding the, the the right trade-off between uh, releasing new features, shipping quickly, and uh, the reliability and and the the sort of health. Uh, of the overall organization um, and the application that it's supporting. Um, so, you know, and these are concepts that I think are, are you know, relevant for pretty much every company, especially as, as, as you've gone to sort of the always on model and, and more and more companies are trying to build software that, um, that is running, you know, the core of their business, uh, you know, and, and I, I, you'd be hard pressed to find a company which is not totally dependent on software for for their their top and bottom
0: line now that makes a lot of sense you know um it's interesting because i remember the days where you know we you couldn't really do anything with 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 uh, hardware because everything was very physical but you you know you would automate everything using something like Perl or python so this really kind of takes that to to another level, where now we have everything is virtualized. You know, we're even virtualizing memory now. So you know, we're we're doing a lot of things that that are kind of going into that realm. We're abstracting the abstractions almost. So it's so you know- true. It's it's <laughs> funny because we
1: had a we had a recent graduate just started Noble Nine um, who who had more of a business background, and he said he said, "What is this Kubernetes thing?" I keep <laughs> hearing people talk about Kubernetes. Like, what is it? And so I said, okay, well, how much time do you have? First of all, <laughs> um, let's sit down and let's start talking about it. And the concepts actually make a lot of sense. Like anybody can grasp the concepts behind what we're doing, but the abstractions start to get pretty crazy. Uh, you know, when you start to look at at how many layers of abstraction you're, you're running on. And I think the joke is that, you know, if you look at your modern cloud provider, they're running virtualization on top of, physical machines and then they're running containers on top of that. And then, you know, if you're someone like Google, you're running virtual machines on top of those containers. And so it gets pretty hard to keep, keep, keep it all straight.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's absolutely the truth. And it's funny because, you know, as you see more and more of the cloud native um, foundations products, you know, or, or solutions, I should say, you, you know, you're starting to see more, more of that control plane move into things like Kubernetes so you know you have things like crossplane that now manage the uh you know the, the life cycle of cloud providers now. So you're t- you're kind of like spinning that around on its on its access. Also now you have you know people are, are saying kubernetes is too complicated. Let's go to serverless. Okay, well serverless is too complicated. Let's go to faz. I mean <laughs> what's what comes after faz, you know? It's like <laughs> it's Yeah, yeah. Well, there's always
1: this kind of efficient frontier between the the abstraction and actually having access to to the underlying resources. And so we've kind of I think we've always kind of struggled with it. You look at Google coming out with um, App Engine, you know, and I don't know, it was like 2010, 10 ish, 2011 ish. It was a, you know, PaaS. But it didn't get a ton, a ton of adoption because it just I don't think it was close enough to you know the actual uh, infrastructure for the time for sort of the the mental models developers had and
2: whatnot. So, so Brian, you you mentioned um, you know sort of this evolution uh, of of this role of SRE, and and I'm curious, like your perspective on customers. You know, a vast majority of our customers are still managing, you know, legacy. Uh, I use air quotes there, but legacy applications legacy infrastructure and how do you see that transition, you know, the impact of of an SRE uh, especially as it relates to things like technical debt that may be accumulated over those years?
1: Sure. I mean, I think most organizations that, that, that I've talked to, you know, the majority of, you know, their critical business processes are still running on what you might consider to be legacy infrastructure on, on just, you know, raw virtualization, not on cloud native infrastructure, not, you know, most of it has not been decomposed. If I had a dollar for every company we've talked, this is, hey, we have a project to like decompose our monolith into services, right? Um, So I think the question is like, how do you get the most bang for your buck out of that? And um, there's there's no one size fits all approach, but if you go talk to the engineers, they tend to know what the creakiest parts of the application are. Um, and you know, the, the, the SRE approach that would be, well, you know, we got to go measure it. We have to go understand, um, you know, what are the bottlenecks in the customer experience that we have today? Um, if, you know, I, I would posit that if, if you, if, uh, if it's not impacting the customer, um, you know, then you would look at how it's impacting developer productivity, right? Is it, does it take us too long to ship because this is sitting on the monolith and, and actually like, You know, that's a perfectly good reason to go to to go to a service based architecture. It's not necessarily even about, you know, improving the customer experience. It's about, you know, how do we get more more developer velocity going? Um, But if you if you start to go in that direction, you have to make sure now I'm going to do this migration. I'm going to peel off sort of layers of the onion. I'm going to start putting them into 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 services. And I can make sure that I'm not actually sacrificing the customer experience. It starts to get really complex uh, as you create these these dependencies that you know once and you know you networking folks, but these dependencies that once lived maybe in memory, the dependencies between libraries, they're now becoming dependencies uh, at the network layer. There's a lot more that, that can go wrong. Um, and yes, you have like better, better ownership uh, in general, but it can become harder to figure out if you, know, you don't have things like distributed tracing in place and you don't have SLOs across the end-to-end user journey. Uh, it's it becomes a lot harder to pinpoint where the actual issue is.
2: Do you find uh, customers tackling the squeaky wheel first? I mean, majority of the time, or is it? I, I, we hear from a lot of customers who are like, "I'm just not touching that. It's it's been running for you know 15 years. I'm not, you know." Do you, so I'm just curious in, in your experience. Do you see them tackling tackling that first uh, to to eliminate the risk? Yeah, or at least I, actually, it? yeah, I don't.
1: I, it's, I think it's tough. I don't, I don't know that they necessarily go after the squeaky wheel first. I think the pattern I see a lot of is, you know, let's start to build new services as microservices that sit, you know, kind of around the monolith. Um, you know, they might call into it. Uh, they might They might use, use pieces of it. And then, you know, gradually as you build more and more services, you start to, you know, as you build something new, you start to figure out which pieces you can pull out it, you know, into the services, um, it protect that in general, you know, I think a, a pretty common pattern is, um, Hey, we're going to go build uh, a new capability that relies on something that, you know, we built before that we, you know, we know we have to refactor the code or we know that it's, it's broken in some way, shape or form. So when we go tackle this new feature, we're also going to refactor the code that, that it has a dependency on. Um, and so that's, you know, I think that's a great pattern for going after, um, you know, Going into more decomposable microservices. I mean, it's much easier if you're starting from scratch. You're starting with a new, uh, you know, platform, new, new, new application. I think that's why you see so many startups adopt Kubernetes first. I mean, it is a better way to build software, um, no question. But it might not be the best like operational bank for the bot for a for a large enterprise.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm always surprised that there's not more companies out there that are tackling the problem of. You know, converting those monolithic applications and and things over to microservices. I mean, we had a company on on a couple you know a little while ago that was um, their their whole platform did that. They they converted that functionality. It it analyzed it. It looked at the at the legacy code. It looked at the libraries. It analyzed everything. It did and it, and it spit out this is what we think how you should separate everything into you know these functions and. And these kinds of areas in order to, and, and kind of, you could, you could tell it to spit out microservices based on that. So it was really, really neat doing that. I'm always surprised that there's not more because the biggest gap is that, you know, all the, the, the allure of the cloud provider is bring your stuff to us. We're going to make it easier. But yeah. what people quickly realized, and, and honestly, the, the cloud providers can care less if you're bringing your whole application or the monolithic application. They're still getting your money. So, right, right. You know, absolutely. Re- yeah. You know, so so really, you would think that there would be more companies that were trying to figure this problem out because it's really the biggest problem in getting things to the microservices easier. Right, you know? right.
1: So you know, it, I think the carrot model works really well, um, and what I've seen work is, you know, let's say you you do build an SRE capability, you have an SRE team, you create certain requirements for parts of the application to be supported by SRE. Right. So, whereas maybe like you know, right now developers have to run their own call. You can say, SRE can take over the oper, you know, the day to day operations of your service. If you do A, B, and C to the service, right? If you have SLOs, if you know you move, you you know it's running on this platform, and you know you you would be amazed how motivated developers are to um to to, to fix tech debt and take care of code when it means that they don't have to be on call anymore
0: as primary. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good motivator. <laughs>
2: So, uh, you mentioned a couple of terms there, and I just want to clarify for our listeners, you know, um, you talk about SLOs, uh, SLIs, you know, how do those relate and, and also how do they differ from things like SLAs, which many of our listeners are, are aware of?
1: Sure. Um, so an SLO is just like an SLA, but it doesn't necessarily have a financial penalty attached to it. Um, and it can be much, it's, I would say, um, much more flexible in terms of how it's used, uh. The, you know, I mentioned earlier that the, the goal of SRE was to manage this trade-off between feature velocity and the reliability of the application, um, and to do that, you have to build a feedback loop, right? As you make changes, as you move quickly, as things fall down and stand up, um, that all impacts reliability, and, and we have to ask the question, like, how much is too much, right? When, when do we need to slow down? When can we speed up and, and service-level objectives? Which are really just, you know, what is the definition of like how this service is supposed to operate? Um, are 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 what allow us to build those feedback loops, um, and then service level indicators are the things that tell us, uh, that give us signal about um, what you know what the impact is uh, to the customer of what we do. You know, uh, I, you know, I think you know if you think of a of a straightforward service, you know, maybe a a login service. And a service level objective for that might be. Uh, a user is able to successfully log in with the correct password and see the home page uh, within one second, 99.9% of the time. Right, so you can kind of describe the user journey that you're trying to to capture in that SLO um, from the perspective of the customer, and then you have a very good understanding. You know, as you're as you're doing things, as as you know, you know, maybe you've introduced some latency into that. Um, maybe you you made a change which uh, which which broke the login experience, right? You would see that in um, in uh, you know what we call the, the error budget for the SLO. If the SLO is I want X to happen 99% of the time. The error budget is that the inverse of that, that 1% of the time. It's basically saying this is how unreliable we're going to allow this service to be, and that unreliable is kind of the tolerance. we the tolerances we're building into software that allow us to operate it.
0: Department. Yeah, I always I always explain to people too that you know a lot of times in the microservices world, you know, you might have SLOs on a lot of the different microservices, but they might funnel up to an SLA that you're then has some kind of business outcome. You yeah, know? so all yeah, of those exactly. together can, can kind well,
1: of you yeah. know. And I would say, like, if you have an SLA, like, let's say you know you have customers and you say, I'm I'm going to make this functionality available 99.9 percent of the time. I would hope that you have an SLO that says internally we're going to do ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time. There's no financial, you know, penalty if you don't hit ninety nine point nine nine. But if you're breaching that SLO, then you can be, you know, very well certain that you know you're 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 well on your way to breaching the SLA.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Can you? uh, uh, We talked a little bit before, but can you? uh, add to kind of some, how an SLO might is, is important, but having other visibility points of, of an application performance, we talked a little bit about, uh, like how load balancer, um, a, a viewpoint of, it's great to have an SLO of, uh, of this application it's supposed to be running well, but if no yeah, traffic's yeah. hitting it, then that doesn't matter. Right. So
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely dangerous to only build SLOs and only look at metrics from the application side. Um, you know, we I think there was an outage a couple days ago that took down briefly a lot of GCP customers like Spotify, for example. Um, and that outage uh, I think happened at the load balancer into in Google, right? So it was like a network outage. So if I'm like Spotify and looking at my SLOs, I'm like, yeah, everything's great. Like the you know, latency is great, error rate's great. Uh, hey, if you, a user tries to play a song, it happens within a certain amount of time, whatever. Um, but meanwhile, uh, there were no requests coming in, right? So obviously everything looked great. Um, and the uh, the you know the, so you want to have uh, visibility into into what the what the actual customer is experiencing. Um, and SREs use uh, synthetic monitoring for that. Um, I know Cisco has a has a great solution called Thousand Eyes for synthetic monitoring. Um, and actually you can build SLOs out of synthetics. So I would say a great you know overall reliability program would include both. Uh, SLOs from synthetic monitoring, as well as application centric SLOs that are looking at, you know, connectivity between different microservices and sort of the overall user journey.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, I forget what it's called, but um, isn't there a standard for like monitoring now that's like open monitoring or something like that, but there needs to be better messaging between all these different buses, you know, in order yeah. to make it easier for these things to communicate. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So there is, so there is a an open standard around open telemetry. That's it, open uh, which telemetry, is, yeah. which is <laughs> yeah. I mean, an open telemetry is really just uh, a format for um, tracing data, uh, and and you know it's basically saying like, hey, if we can all use the same standard format, it's really easy to to you know plug one solution in or, or unplug one solution and and put another one in. Um, so I, I think it's great value for the customer to adopt something like open telemetry because you know, obviously it obviously reduces vendor lock-in um, and, and but not just like reducing vendor lock-in, but it makes it easier to then go take advantage of, of new capabilities and new solutions that, that are out there.
0: Yeah, but when you think about it, you know, so if, if I'm gonna monitor, let's say a microservices based application, typically, you know, I'm gonna put some kind of service mesh, something like Istio or something like that, you know, to get those kind of statistics. I'm gonna use things like Prometheus and Grafana and all these other kinds of things, I'm going to maybe use something like AppDynamics or, uh, you know, a thousand eyes. You want to be able to correlate this data together and create this kind of massive kind of, uh, you know, intelligence that will give you more of that information. You don't want it to be like all over the place. So I think yeah. standardization in that area is, is, is key to to a lot of this information.
1: Definitely. I mean, well, it's one thing we're trying to do with SLOs is is to basically bring Different types of data in for a sort of holistic view of reliability, but depending on what you're trying to do, um, you know, different tools are going to give you a lot of visibility and value. Uh, and you know, if the, you know, there's something like if you're trying to debug what's going wrong with the transaction, like you're probably going to want to go look at logs. If you're trying to debug a uh, you know a faulty call through a distributed system, you're going to want to use distributed tracing to, to you know to trace that call all the way back um and the systems that store this these types of data are are you know pretty custom to what they're doing so i don't you know the, the you know i think one interesting thing and, and we actually heard it on a on a on a webinar earlier that that um that cisco was on i think the, like the average enterprise has nine different observability solutions. And like that is growing as much as folks want to be like, Hey, let's consolidate onto one solution. Again, you have legacy environments, you have newer environments, you have different tools for different use cases. Um, I I would argue that uh, it's kind of a waste of time to say, we should consolidate this all um, because you're, you're, you're never going to get there. And and you're actually kind of, uh you're probably uh hamstringing yourself a little bit in terms of uh you know having an agile organization
2: yeah i think uh the ability though to to at least uh leverage all of those platforms together you know if there's nine different different telemetry mechanisms or whatever monitoring tools how do i at least get a complete view of everything going on from from these different different systems that's certainly something that um you know, right, like right. Are- and, and that's, you know, I think that's
1: part of the promise of SLOs, like that's something that, that SLOs like it's, it's SLOs are a great starting point. I, I don't think, you know, you'll ever get, you'll, you'll ever do like all your root cause analysis looking at SLOs, right? Because it is a, you know, just by definition, it's it's measuring the reliability of the system. But it's not necessarily telling you, uh, you know, exactly what call was broken here. And, you know, maybe I'm going to have to go look at my tracing data for that, or maybe I'm gonna have to go look at, you know, error rates uh, on the network. Um, and there's no there's no one size fits all solution. That's why um, you know I think SRE is such a such an amazing practice because it's you know if you really look at SRE it's about the um, sort of continuous improvement we can make in um, what we're doing. And I, I think the, the best SREs understand the organizational side of engineering as much as the technical side, and you know they're they're able to go figure out like hey okay, how do we make sure that when we have an outage we don't repeat the same mistake, right? That we're prioritizing the right things. Um, and, you know, we're. I think most people, are, I would posit that like most pages that, that wake people up in the middle of the night um, are, are from things that you could have foreseen based on what you already knew about the application, but didn't have time to fix or wasn't prioritized or, you know, or whatnot. So it's really just about that continuous improvement that we can make.
2: Yeah. Do you, do you, um, find that SROs or SLOs, sorry, SLOs are driven by, (laughs) yeah, I was creating a new acronym there. Um, SLOs are driven. Yeah. Right. I don't know what it means. Uh, site reliability organization. There we go. All right. So, (laughs) um, but SLOs are driven by, uh, SLAs or SLAs driven by it. Like it's the business saying, Hey, we're going to be able to keep this platform up five nines. So then the sres are forced to adhere to that type of mentality or is it or is it the sre saying well we're only comfortable with four nines today uh you know maybe we'll get further in the future
1: yeah yeah so slo should be primarily driven by user happiness at the end of the day what what do our users need to be satisfied um and every system has users right even if we're running a database service internally uh, that you know, no external-facing customer overseas. Like we probably have internal customers that are using that service. So it's really just driven by the, the needs of the customer. Um, and you know, SLAs I think are similar to that, except that you know, since there's financial penalties, we we tend to sandbag them. Um, but uh, you know, I think if you look at the typical SLA and say we're just going to meet our SLAs, you're probably not delivering an experience that's going to make your customers happy. Um, And if you're always just at the border of meeting your SLA, you're probably burning your team out as well because they're getting six pages a night and uh, they're all getting ready to quit. I mean, there was a a study that came out a couple days ago. I think it said 51 percent of engineers are considering quitting or moving jobs because because of tech debt that that, you know, is basically causing them to be woken up in the middle of the night. Um, and it's, it's sort of an untenable situation if, if it's, if it's just
0: left alone. So why do you think that, you know, I, and I have my own thoughts on this, but why do you think that, that there is so much tech debt? Do you think that it's because, uh, the people that are that have been there a long time just don't want to make those changes. They're too worried about it. The code's too old. They don't have anybody that knows it anymore. Or is it that, um, you know, people are afraid of what's new, you know, what, what are the reasons that, that you're seeing yeah. or you think it's, you know, there, there are too, too many to name, but <laughs> I would,
1: you know, every engineering decision that you make is usually a trade-off and that trade-off usually accrues some amount of tech debt. Um, you know, you, you may be trying to ship, uh, an MVP of the product so you're making the trade off of scalability for time to market because like why spend a bunch of time making something scalable if nobody's going to use it? And you say, okay, we'll go back and we'll fix the scalability in the system later on. Right? Maybe we're going to hard code some values in this coffee queue that we know are going to cause it to fall over later on. But, you know, once we have people using it, we can get a better understanding of, of how it's working. Um, so that's tech debt, right? And like nobody did anything wrong. Um, but okay, that's, that's one thing. And, and these things tend to build up over time, right? Oh, we need to upgrade this library because this service is being deprecated. And, uh, or, you know, this API has changed, uh, since we originally implemented it and we have to call the new version of the API, right? These are all, you know, sort of run of the mill maintenance type things like that. I would, I would classify as tech debt and the problem becomes. Well, what do you tackle first? Like how much of that should you spend time on versus building features and capabilities that are, you know, that your customers are asking for? Because no customer really ever said, Hey, you know, in your next release, could you just make like the headline of that burn down tech debt? Um, now we're, where SLOs come into the picture and SRE comes into the picture is like at a certain point, if you don't address that, it does start to impact the reliability of the service. It also. Impacts you know how quickly you can develop uh, new capabilities because you know maybe you're working off an old library and you have to go you know do something really painful every time uh, for example but uh, you know coming back to, to to the SRE the SLOs start to tell you you know what are the areas of my of my application you know which services are really starting to suffer from this uh, lack of um, lack of attention in the in the um, Kafka queue example, right, there's a ton of great SLOs for Kafka, you know, you could be looking at, you know, queue depth, uh, latency, things like that, um, as you start to burn error budget in those areas, you say, okay, I need to really go look at this, and I need to go adjust these values, it may be something that's only going to take an engineer uh, a couple hours of looking at, but now you know, this is something that has to be prioritized. Um, and you can actually point to a metric and you can point to, uh, point to an improvement in the customer experience for spending that time. Versus, and and you know, as a product manager, you know, if, if an engineer comes to me and says, "Look, here's this SLO, we're we're burning error budget, we're out of error budget, we have to just spend the time on it, it's going to delay your feature," but you know, sorry, right? I I have no answer for that, right? That okay? Yeah, you're right. Right.
2: So so how do how how do you see you know uh, customers or how do you recommend customers start can start to get started in this area of you know, building SLOS? Uh, et yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, the, the first thing, you know, I would say obviously coming from Noble 9, I would say go center for our trial, um, connect it to whatever data sources you have um, and start, you know, thinking about, you know, as a customer, what are the things that I want to make sure are happening uh, in, in my application or in my service um, and start start building some SLOs around there. There's great methodologies, um, you know, Alex Hidalgo, who's our director of SRE, wrote a book implementing SLOs. Uh, you know, so there's great methodologies that you can follow in terms of like how to get adopt, you know, widespread adoption across the org. But you know, the best thing is to start uh, creating them, bringing data in, modeling it. Um, and what I what I often hear from folks is, well, I'm going to go just I'm going to fix my observability stack, and then I'm going to go to SLOs. And that, in you know, for, in my mind, is is totally backwards because you know the, the value of SLOs is it actually tells you what you need to fix, right? You go try to build an SLO, and you say, well, I actually don't have the data that I need to um to ad- to, to address this part of the customer experience because it's not instrumented in my application or I'm not collecting this type of telemetry yet. Well, now now you have a pretty clear roadmap for how you're going to fix uh, or you know what you're going to do from a from a uh, instrumentation standpoint.
0: So when so when you let's step back a sec. So you're you're you looked at what people were doing in the industry around SRE and you've kind of platformized, is that a word? Platformized (laughs) as a, um, you know, so, so you gave the visualization, the aggregation and kind of that, that touch point, explain exactly what, you know, what your solution will do. It kind of takes some of the pain, I think out of, out of this whole SRE uh, experience.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, I think, a, a couple key challenges with getting uh, SLOs uh, going, right? One is, um, you have to do the calculation of, uh, of you know, error budget, error budget burn based on, um, you know, what the objective is that you set. Um, and, and, you know, doing that manually can be can be really a pain, um, especially when you consider sort of all the different Uh, types of SLOs you can create, where the data is coming from. Um, So what we really help with is normalizing the data so that you can just have like one definition for what the SLO is pointed at a specific data source. And then um, you have a sort of normalized view of error budget and error budget burn rate. Uh, The other thing that uh, we really help with is turning those SLOs into code. So we defined a YAML-based format for um, defining SLOs. Um, and then this is something that can be like checked in and, and version controlled and reviewed um, by the you know, by, by SREs if you're a developer, but you know, by other, by other folks in your organization. Um, because SLOs are become something of like an implicit contract between teams and between maybe the business and, and engineering, um, they are something that you know really need to be version controlled and like not everybody can go in. And, you know, adjust the SLO whenever they feel like it, right? It's a it's like this shared understanding of like what we're what we're trying to accomplish here with the service. So we've tried to provide some of the basics out of the box in, in Noble Nine and, and we have a lot of plans for where we're gonna go from here. But we're you know excited with what we're seeing so far.
0: Yeah that's great.
2: Yeah I, I'm curious uh, how how you know you, you mentioned that Noble nine takes some of these um uh Data points and normalizes it. I'm curious, like how what 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 those might be. We've talked a little bit about AppDynamics and Thousand Eyes and, and maybe some others from an APM perspective, giving um sort of continuous loop of of data. You know, um, changing those SLOs as they as the as the application changes, the user experience changes. So, just can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think a great example is uh, you know if you look at both Thousand Eyes and AppDynamics together. Let's say you're running like an e-commerce service. Um, and you have synthetics against uh, you know how long the you know a certain um, maybe item it takes to load, right? You could create an SLO from that thousand eyes data that says you know I expect this item to load ninety nine percent of the time within you know a second, right? And then start measuring uh, error budget from that standpoint. And at the same time, you know within that application, you might be measuring um, you know for you know internally. How long it takes uh, somebody to to check out, right? To go through a checkout workflow, um, or the error rate for, for a for a checkout workflow, um, and you could bring that data into Noble Line as well and create a second SLO based on you know checkout um, correctness, you know maybe like cart checkout correctness or you know how many people started that journey and completed it. Um, so you're getting kind of two sides of that uh, of that environment of that application. Um, they're two separate SLOs, but they're sort of represented as um, as one user journey within, within double nine.
0: Yeah. And, and you've also provided the way to visualize that journey kind of within your platform there.
1: That's right. Yeah. So this being a podcast, it's, it's yeah.
0: kind
1: of hard to show it, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, you, 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 you know, you basically get a sense for, um, for the overall health, uh, of the user journey. Um, even though there's dependencies, uh, you know, the, you know, even though each of the dependencies might have, you know, its own, its own set of metrics and monitoring and SLOs, um, you know, maybe I'm like the product manager for, for checkout. Um, I can see basically get a very quick understanding of the health of my overall checkout service,
0: um, from, from looking at that. So what, what is this service, uh, or composed of? Is it a SaaS? Is it something with agents? How does, how does it work?
1: Um. Yeah. So it's a SaaS platform. Uh, okay. We gathered the, gathered the data for it either through an agent-based model or or by directly connecting. If it's if it's a SaaS platform, so like if you're an App Dynamics customer, you're running an on-prem implementation of App Dynamics. Um, you know, we we have an agent you can run to collect the data from that AppD instance. Uh, but if you're you know running it as you know as a SaaS customer, uh, we can connect directly to that to that SaaS environment from from our uh,
0: platform that seems to be the pretty common methodology these days. Everything is kind of SaaS first and then, you know, you you have the agents to collect things
2: and uh, that's, yeah. that's it's, a, it's a really good model. It works well. Um, and, you know, and your, your platform is, is SAS only. Is that correct?
1: Um, we do, uh, we do provide a, like a single tenant option for, you know, certain customers. Um, you know, it's uh uh, you know, it's one of these things where you know you're in a you're in a Kubernetes world, so it's it's actually not that hard to have kind of that multi single tenant model. But the, the majority of our customers run on run on our SaaS.
0: Now, and out of cur- curiosity, I mean. does it does it uh, does it monitor itself? Does it give itself SLOs? Yes,
1: yeah, so we do have SLOs in our platform. We actually run a separate environment that monitors our production environment, or that you know that we have SLOs for our production environment in because. Um, you know, you can imagine, like calculating SLOs uh, in you know in the same environment you're 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 calculating them for. You know, there's there's a little bit of a gap there from a reliability standpoint. You know, I, I think one of the reasons folks don't want to build their own SLO solutions also is because one, it's another pager you have to carry, and two the uh, reliability, you know, the, sort of the, the measurement that you're doing of the reliability of certain components will only be as good as the reliability of the system that's measuring, that's doing the measuring. Um, so it is something, you know, we, we, we have, you know, built a pretty um, sophisticated SRE team internally at Noble 9. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously, like reliability is something that, uh, that we invest in and take pretty seriously.
0: So we did mention that it has visualization, but but one thing that you just I uh, just thought of was how how do you get notified? Does it connect to PagerDuty? What is what what are the different ways of getting notified from
1: the system? Yeah, um, so we connect to most of the common uh, endpoints that you would, that you would imagine PagerDuty, service uh, ServiceNow. I think one of the cool things about SLOs is. Um, once you understand what the objective is and you can look at the burn rate of error budget, you can do different things with that based on the severity. Um, it's, you know, not everything is a, hey, if it hits this threshold, it's gonna be, it's gonna be an alert, right? If you're sort of burning budget kind of slowly, but, but, but fast enough for it to be concerning, you might, that might be like a, a JIRA ticket that gets created, right? And, and hey, somebody needs, to, this is a P1 ticket, somebody needs to follow up on this the next day. Right. But we're not waking somebody up in the middle of the night um, versus like if your burn rate goes to 100 X, which means that, you know, you, it's going to take you one one hundredth of the period to run out of error budget. OK, that, you know, if that if that stays true for about, you know, five, 10 minutes, this is definitely like, you know, a huge customer impacting issue. Somebody needs to get woken up.
0: Is is there some thought in there or, or have you thought about it, about putting some logic around maybe certain services that you know better to restart to modify to do something with it in order to uh yeah. you know yeah. in order yeah. to kind of remediate
1: yeah so you know we do have some customers that hook uh the slo alerts up to run books um i'd say that's still in the early days because like most i would say most people are a little bit hesitant to like yeah. fully automate the remediation um, but it can be the kind of thing where hey we think you know you need to restart this cluster uh you know click this button to to proceed um, so I think it's a really interesting area. Like there's a lot of really cool companies building things, uh, around sort of run book intelligence. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm excited, you know, so like we're not, we're not necessarily like building anything that will automate it from noble nine, but we see our customers connecting into systems that are doing that.
0: That's cool. I like that.
2: So, so yeah, just, ahead. uh, uh, yep. Um, where can, where can people go to get more information about, you know, Noble nine about yourself, uh, Twitter or whatever? <laughs>
1: um, yeah. So if, if you just go to wwwnoble noble nine.com, uh, you know, that's probably the best place to start. If you're interested in, in trying the noble nine product, um, you can just click that get started link in the top, right. That'll take you to, um, sign up for a trial of noble nine. Um, And, you know, obviously we have, we have my Twitter handles at Brian underscore singer, uh, you know, uh, feel free to follow me, follow the noble nine Twitter.
0: Perfect. And, and lastly, any suggestions for people who are all about becoming an SRE, uh, into, into this, you know, area, which is growing so rapidly.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the great thing about SRE is there's just, there's like a wealth of information out there right now, like almost, almost too much. Um, the starting point for most folks is the, the Google SRE book. Um, you know, great I would book, say by the way. a great book, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't read it as necessarily like the gospel of SRE. Like, I think it is a point in time, how one company went to implement SRE and, and it's really interesting. I think, you know, the, the best thing to do is, um, you know, go to some of the conferences like, uh, SRECon 21, like tons of great content material. Um, and hopefully as conferences start to open up a little bit more, uh, people start attending more, um, there's, there's just, there's a, a wealth of really knowledgeable people, you know, follow those people on Twitter, uh, follow Alex at read his book for sure. Um, and you know, if, you know, I'd say like, if you, uh, do want to get, it starts, if you're interested in SLOs, want to get started with it, want to get started with SRE, um, need some more help, feel free to reach out directly to,
0: to us as well. You know what I said as a kid that that really what I want to be when I grow up is is somebody that does SLOs. That's exactly what I said when I was like five years old. I was like, I'm going to be the SLO man. Yeah, no, so but we call
1: the, them we call them uh, slogicians, <laughs> uh, that was like the, the original uh, one of the original papers on SLOs,
0: but yeah. Nice, nice. Well, thank you very much for coming. This has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. So, um, thanks a lot. We appreciate you coming on. Great. Yeah. That's
1: thanks, Brian. thanks, Michael. Thanks,
0: Justin. Enjoyed it. Okay. Thanks.